Good morning, church. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Jonah that you have given to us so that, Lord, we may learn from it. Lord, we thank you because of this time, Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds to to hear from your holy word. Lord, help me and those who are listening to this message today so that, Lord, we will not be distracted from our vain thoughts. Let your Holy Spirit take control of everything so that, Lord, as I speak this word, that, Lord, he may help us to understand the deep things that, Lord, you have for us as we survey the first two chapters of this book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Today, we are going to look at the book of Jonah, chapter 1 and 2. I have given an outline for this book, for the four chapters, and this outline is the one we are going to follow today and the next time I do the second part as indicated by the outline. We have part one and we have part two. And because the book of Jonah is just the four chapters, we are going to do the survey and try to find out what God wants us to learn from this book. When you look at the outline, we have in part one, A, B and C. And in this part, we have Jonah's, Jonah being commissioned at his flight from God. We have Jonah and the pagan sailors. And we have Jonah and his grateful prayer. Then, part two, which we will see in the month of July is about Jonah being recommissioned and his compliance with the call of God. Jonah, we also have part B, Jonah and the pagan Ninevites. And part C, we have Jonah being angry against God in his prayer in chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Then, part D, we will cover Jonah's lesson on compassion. So, this final section about the lesson that Jonah learned about compassion has no parallel in this outline. All other part A, B, C are like 
repeated in a, in a contrast. And we see in part D, which will be the last part, that this is the climax of this book of Jonah. That is chapter, from chapter 4, verse 5 to 11. And this is the section that contains the primary message of the story. The purpose of the book of Jonah, I mean the introduction part, the book of Jonah was written to the post-exilic community. When we read this book of Jonah, we see it's not just about Jonah. And this will become clear at the end of the story. The story in this book of Jonah is about us and God's people. As God's people. It is about our attitudes. It's about our actions. Through the, this story, the author of the book of Jonah invites us to examine our own lives to see the extent to which there is any Jonah in us. Jonah is never called a prophet in the book. Though there is a phrase in Second Kings chapter 14 verse 25, that referred to him as a prophet. That was during the time of the reign of Jerobo, King Jeroboam II in Samaria, in the northern kingdom, before Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. But here we, we see that the word of the Lord came to, to him. Actually, the story of Jonah is a standard in contrast. When you go through the book of Jonah, you will see that Jonah will be contrasted with the pagan sailors and the pagan Ninevites. The story of Jonah is also a story of comparisons. The pagan sailors and the pagan Ninevites will be compared to God. The point here is these contrasts and comparisons are intended to contrast Jonah and God. God will be seen to have a heart of great compassion but not Jonah. The general application of this book is that the purpose of the book is for the readers, both primary and secondary, that they might compare their own hearts to that of God, to the end that our hearts might become more like the heart of God. Let us look at the, these two chapters, the first two chapters. 
The theme that I have today is that we can't escape from divine responsibility. Part one, Jonah's commissioning and the flight from and back to God. Chapter one, verse one to three, Jonah's commissioning and the flight. When you read a book, you will always discover that the author often begins stories by setting the stage and introducing some kind of conflict. The conflict usually grows throughout the story until it reaches a climax before it is resolved. In the opening verses, that is verse 1 and 3 of the book of Jonah, the author is setting the stage by introducing two key characters. One is God and the other one is Jonah. And then he quickly introduced conflict between God and Jonah. When you read verse A of verse 1, we hear the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This is a typical for introducing divine speech to a prophet. And of course, what you expect is that is that Jonah is just going to get up and then go to Nineveh. Before we see what happened, it is important to know who Jonah is. The name Jonah means dove. Dove is used in the Old Testament as a symbol of Israel which means silly and without the sense. And you can find that in Hosea chapter 7, verse 11. What's the meaning of the, his father's name, Amitai? Amitai means faithfulness. So Jonah's full name is Dove, or silly and without the sense, Son of my faithfulness. Jonah is silly. His father is faithful. And it tells the whole story about him throughout the book. Jonah will prove himself true to his name. Why names? When I was young, by the age of 13... I did not like the name that I was given by my parents. And I had to change that name when I was registering for my middle school final exams. And also when I went to get birth certificate because during the time when I was born, there were no birth certificates. You had to do that later when they, starting, they started issuing birth certificates. So, the person I was named was my grandfather on the side of my mom. My grandfather was a drunkard. 
and he used to drink every day. Even when the river was flowing, he would cross over to the other side to drink, and because he had a few goats that he had to, to, find, to feed, he will look for some stuff to feed the goat and tie them at his back and then cross the liver when it was flowing. And my poor and grandfather father died while crossing the river when he was drunkard. So this name, Gechovi or Gechohi, meant a drunkard. So I was named after him. In Africa and also in Jewish community, you'll find names have a great meaning in the lives of the people. Some might think I'm reading too much into the meaning of Jonah's name, but it can be easily established that quite frequently names have deep theological significance in the context of Hebrew stories. Take, for example, the opening chapter of Genesis. Adam means humanity. And Adam is the representative of human race. Eve means living. And she becomes the mother of all the living. Cain means acquired. And Eve only acquired Cain with the help of the Lord. Abel means vanity. And his life ended up being in vain as he was killed in the prime of his life by his brother Cain. Seth means replacement. And Eve celebrated him as at his birth as a replacement for the son she had lost. So you'll find mostly in the Jewish stories names have a lot of significance in their character. And what we need to know as at this point is that in spite of how silly and senseless Jonah is, God's love never let him go. And this is very fundamental to us because it's very much encouraging and that God speaks to us through this book. Yet at times we are silly and senseless, but God's faithful love never let us go. So here we see Jonah was commissioned to go and speak against Ninevites because of their wickedness. He got up and go. He got up and went. The Bible says, get up and go. Get up is used to make go more vivid. It's like saying, go at once. So, this call was very urgent. Jonah was to get up and go immediately 
to where God had sent him to go. Yes, he got up, but he went to a different direction. He was called to go to Nineveh, the great city. Nineveh was a major city and the last capital of Assyrian Empire, which was destroyed by their neighboring power, Babylon, 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 which emerged after Assyria had already destroyed and overrun the northern kingdom. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from before the Lord. So, Jonah went down. He went down from the mountain, from where he was called. He went down to Joppa and found a ship. And he was doing that to flee to Talshish from before the Lord. From the mountain, mount, mountain country, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship. And their ship was going to Talshish, which was totally opposite of Nineveh. He went down to it. He went down. After paying the fare, he went down to it. He went to the, the, the most bottom part of the ship and he slept. Just to go to Tarshish to run away from the Lord. So the reputation of Tarshish here at the opening and the middle and the closing, if you have read these verses is an open, um, opening I mean it serves to to underscore his radical departure of Jonah from his God's call and his presence so he went to Joppa down to Joppa found a ship Paid and went down, and then their ship was taking the direction that is opposite to where he was called to do. This book is very different from other prophetic books where we hear a prophet is called, and even if some of them had some struggle with their weaknesses as human beings they would finally accept the call. They would not argue too much with God. But here, we don't hear Jonah arguing with God. Jonah just got up. I, I, I think that's why this is silly for him. Because he got up and did totally opposite of what God wanted him to do. Jonah was not just trying to, to get away from Nineveh. He was also trying to get away from God's presence. 
And as the text makes clear by the repetition of from before the Lord, at the beginning and at the end, it's clear that he was totally determined to run away from God and from the responsibility that was given to him. The first time I heard about this book of Jonah was during a youth camp when I was a youth uh, many years ago. And the reverend who was speaking a message from this book trying to give us some historical facts outside the, the book of Jonah as to why Jonah was refusing to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go deep into that <laughs> because I, I even have not found that anywhere. I don't know where he got it from, but if it is there, I have not come across that because the Ninevites were mistreating the Jewish people and they were making them look Gentile and not Jews, you know, in circumcision. So they were taking them and that's what he had said. And, and make them look like Gentiles. And so Jonah was very angry about the way they were treating people. But you know what? God at this time actually was preparing this nation this kingdom to invade the northern kingdom because the Jewish people had already disobeyed God's commands. They had committed apostasy, worshipping other gods beside God himself. And so, this was a warning. God was preparing Assyria to come and attack Nineveh, I mean, uh, the northern kingdom. Let's go to part B, Jonah and the Pagani sailors. Chapter 1, verse 4 to 16. I have a question to each one of us. What would you have done best if you were Jonah and you were called? Possibly we would have done the same. And we have done this many times. Sometimes God wants us to do something but we, we do opposite of what God wants us to do. Sometimes God wants us to change our characters, but we continue just to, to go on down and down and down. And we are not sometimes different, or most of the time different from Jonah. And that is why I said it from the beginning. This book is our book. This passage in chapter 1, verse 4 to 16, the author is using fourfold repetition of the word fear to focus our attention on this concept as the central theme of this section. This is very central, the fear. You will find it being repeated four times in this passage now, chapter 1, verse 4 to 16. The original readers of the story confessed to the fear of God. Actually, the people who are, you know, the post-exilic community had this confession about their faith, you know, and fear of the Lord. 
And even Jonah himself will attest to that, just as we do. By means of the use of structure of this section, the author invites us to ask the question, is our fear of the Lord a fact or a fiction? In relation to the storm, when you look at verse 4 to 5, the Lord held all through a great wind unto the sea. So there was a great storm in the sea. And the sheep contemplated, which means looked thoughtfully, being broken up in verse 5. The sailors, in verse 5, the sailors feared and each cried to his own God. They questioned Jonah because the captain of the ship went down to, to wake up Jonah and commanded him to, to cry to his own God. So they questioned Jonah when they found him sleeping comfortably in the lowest part of the ship. Jonah's confession in God is a response to sailors. That's how he responded, not to God himself, but to the sailors. He said, I am a Hebrew, and the Lord, the God of heaven, I fear, he fear, who made sea and the dry land. From the sailors, when they knew who Jonah was, in verse 10 to 11, the men feared also in great fear. This is the third fear. The first fear is because of the storm. The second fear was of Jonah. The third fear was when they heard that who Jonah was. They feared a great fear because they knew exactly what is causing the storm. And they asked him, what is this you have done? Because the man knew that he was fleeing from before the Lord because he had taught them. They said to him, what would we do to you so that the sea will become quiet from upon us? Because the sea was walking and storming. He told them to throw him to the sea and they did that. They hurled him to the sea and the storm quieted. Look at the language which is used here. The Lord hurled the storm into the sea, the wind into the sea. And now these pagans, they hurled Jonah into the sea. And the storm quieted. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him in the sea, and the sea stood still from raging. Then the men feared another fear which was a great fear of the Lord. And they sacrificed 
to the Lord, not to their gods, but to the Lord, God. And they made vows. These are three contrasts which are given here. The first involves the fear of the Lord. At the beginning, they feared the Lord. In the middle, they fear a big fear. And at the end, they feared a great fear of the Lord. This threefold repetition about the fear of the parents shows the progressive transformation that is taking place in, the, in their lives. A transformation that results in their becoming people who truly fear the Lord. By way of contrast, at the center of the scene, Jonah himself tells us he fears the Lord. Yet the narrator offers no evidence that this is in fact the case. Because we don't know how Jonah feared the Lord. But we know the results, the actions, the response of these pagan sailors when they feared the Lord... They sacrificed. They became Tururi believers. They confessed faith in the Lord God of Israel. At the beginning of the scene, when the violent storm arises, the pagan sailors prayed. They prayed too, not just fear. To be sure they pray. They prayed each to his own gods because they were from different, maybe backgrounds, community, you know. But at least we know they prayed. By the end of the scene, they are no longer praying to their foreign gods, but are praying to the true and living God of Jonah. By way of contrast, Jonah never prays. Ironically, Jonah is summoned to pray by the pagan captain of the ship with the ones that are strikingly similar to the commissioning of Jonah. But the narrator never tells us that Jonah hidden his summon. So this, the captain of the ship commanded Jonah to pray. But Jonah, we don't hear him praying. We don't hear how he responded to that. Because when they started questioning him, he just said he feared the Lord who made the land and the sea. So the pagan sailors look more like people of faith here than Jonah. The question we are left with is, are we like the pagan sailors or like Jonah? Let me pause a little bit. Sometimes we find ourselves among the people who really don't confess God. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, but if some stuff or things happens and these people start questioning us, how do we respond? How do, do we look before these people? Are we the people of faith or are these people the, the people of faith? You know, sometimes even 
when, when you listen to the media, there are some people who talk like they know God more than we Christians just because they have that stage, public stage, to, to talk about the stuff they want to talk about. How, how do we respond ourselves even, we are not, even when we are not face to face with these people? Do we identify with them? Are we different from them? Who has more faith? Especially when we are among the people who don't confess God. The question that we, we need to ask ourselves is, are we like pagan sailors or like Jonah? Are we like these people who now have confessed the faith and they sacrificed all? Are we like this is a very Jonah, this is a very hard question to answer. The that contrast is a very important term that is used here. Perish. Two times in this scene, the pagans were concerned that people would perish. The first is when the captain, I mean, uh, yes, when the captain summons Jonah to get up and pray to his God so that God might take notice of their situation, this resulted in the people on the ship, I mean, so that it, the people in the ship should not perish. The second one, that's the first, the second one is when the sailors reluctantly determined to throw Jonah overboard, praying that they do not perish. That's how the, the, the term perish is used the first time and the second time when they prayed. Throughout this passage, Jonah shows no evidence of being concerned about the possibility of people perishing. He was not even concerned about what's what was happening. He knew what was happening, but he let these people struggle all through until the time came when he confessed that he fears the Lord, the maker of earth or land and the sea. The question we are left here is, are we like the pagan sailors or like Jonah? Through these three contrasts, the other shows us that things are not always the way they appear. It would appear that Jonah is a person of faith and that the pagans are not. But when we look at the evidence, the pagans are unquestionably people of faith. By the end of experience, again, are we like Jonah? Or like the pagan. The other also sets us a key 
comparison by which the pagan sailors are dealing closely with God. At the beginning of the scene, the Lord hurled the great wind to the sea. And in response to the sailors, they hurled the, the cargo to the sea. And at the end, they hurled Jonah into the sea. So by repeating this verb of hurling, the author is like associating the pagan sailors with, with the Lord. They are doing exactly what God is doing. God is hurling, is hurling the, the, the wind and they are hurling uh, the, the, the cargo and then Jonah. Finally, the sailors make a profound confession of faith in the Lord. They say, For you, Lord, just as you desire to do. For you, Lord, just as you desire to do. This verse or confession is very, very common in the Old Testament. It's very familiar to the ancient Israelites. And it was very much used in the liturgy. When you you look at Psalms 115 verse 3 and Psalms 135 verse 6. So the Original readers of the book of Jonah would have realized or be amazed to hear the pagan sailors using their own liturgical formula to confess faith in God. So here, as we have noted, by means of contrasts, the other, also using comparisons and confessions, is giving us a story in order to compare our own lives with those of the characters. We have no doubt confess all the right things, but is there evidence that our confession is a fact or a fiction? Finally, in part C, Jonah decided to change. He accepted what was happening. He accepted his situation. He acknowledged in the prayer that follows. Jonah sought way back to God in prayer. And this is something that we are learning also that sometimes we might be like Jonah, but there is a way of seeking our way back to God. And 
one of the most important ways is to express ourselves to God. If Jonah was just Jonah, silly and senseless, the story would be over now. But the other continued. Jonah rebelled against God and then suffered the consequences of his rebellion. But Jonah is also Ben Amittai, son of my faithfulness. So the story is not over. In this faithfulness to Jonah, God provides a fish to deliver Jonah from a watery grave. When you read the story of the song or, or the, 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 the prayer, which is in a form of a song, which was read from chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, you will hear the words that Jonah is using when he was praying to God, acknowledging his rebellion and also praising God for his deliverance. Jonah remained inside the fish for three days and three nights. In contrast to being in the water, being in the fish was a good place to be. And that was a place of deliverance. So instead of Jonah just being at the bottom of the sea, the most bottom of the sea, he was, God provided a fish. And this was a form of a better place of deliverance to deliver him from what was happening around him. As a place of deliverance, being inside the fish was an appropriate place for Jonah to sing a song of thanksgiving. Just not where he was thrown into the sea, not where he, he had gone all the way down to the bottom, almost to death, God provided a fish, and this was separating him from what was happening, delivering him from the waves and the willows of the sea, and now Jonah is in a position to sing a song to God. This is a typical of songs of thanksgiving, like in the book of Psalms, you will find this kind of, of songs. And Jonah, Jonah's song celebrates both his trouble and his deliverance. Jonah's trouble can be summarized in terms of his descent into the realm of the dead, which is portrayed in the language typical of the Old Testament in the ancient Near East, and this term which is used, is it Shaw? How do you pronounce it? Shaw? Shio? Shaw. This, this term actually means to the near death. You know, where he mentioned at the gates where there is a lock. So Jonah was at the point of death. He was almost dying. And now God offered a deliverance to him. So here in contrast to being in the land of the living, however, being in the fish was not also a good place to be. He was delivered and put, swallowed by the fish, but also 
inside the fish was not the, the best place. And that was a place to be delivered from. He had to go through another deliverance that God had provide, to provide. So here, when Jonah was in the fish, we read here in the New Testament this analogy of Jonah being used by Jesus, meaning the three days that Jesus will be in the tomb, that is, in the world of the dead, being inside the grave, where now after resurrection, God, Jesus conquered death. Jonah's deliverance is here described in terms of being brought up from the pit. The language that is used in Psalms, like Psalms 16 and 30. And in the original context, these texts describe, describe the deliverance from the near-death experience. There are some people who have given stories of the near-death experience. And they describe, describe what happens and what they see. Here, when the Old Testament is explaining the near-death experience, the language that is used sounds like death itself. Because of this use of that language, here, the texts that speaks about the near-death experience open to, are very open to be interpreted as resurrection texts. The New Testament records just such an interpretation in Psalm, of Psalm 16 in Acts chapter 2 verse 31, where we are told that the blessings, the, the language of Psalm 16 speaks of the resurrection, resurre, resurrection of, the, of, of Christ. The absence of any response of the Lord directly to Jonah, the gaping of the Lord's speech to the fish, and the choice of the word vomit converge to indicate that the Lord, the Lord was displeased with Jonah at this point. He has delivered Jonah. Jonah is going to be vomited to the land but the use of this language of vomit is not very good it indicates God was not happy with Jonah Jonah is still the object of God's faithful love so we will continue next time to look at how God's faithful love of plays out when Jonah was vomited to the land. Let's pray.
Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because of your word. We know, Lord, when we look at our lives and what we do every day and sometimes how we act in response to your call to us to serve you, Lord, we are not different from Jonah. Lord, help us through this book to examine our lives and see where we have gone wrong so that, Lord, we may come back to you like Jonah and that, Jonah, and that Lord, you may deliver us and recommission us to continue to do what, Lord, you called us to do and what we have been running away from. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.